Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Bible study here at One Love Live at Love Walk. And I pray you're well and uh, God is blessing in your life. Um, I hope that uh, you are learning and you are studying and you are discovering your purpose because, as you know, this Bible study, we come together to read the Word of God so that we can practically apply it and also so that we can discover the purpose of our lives and to fulfill that. And so today, um, we have been going through uh, a series on callings, um, but I thought that we might take a small departure here to talk practically about the love walk. And as you know, this is a love walk, so we talk about love and we talk about what that means on a practical uh, level. Um, I don't want you to think of a lofty idea of love. And I, what I want us to have the conversation about today is a practical application of love toward those that perhaps you don't really know, those that, you know, maybe they're not really in your family, or maybe you don't really think of demonstrating love toward them in the way that we understand it in, you know, our culture, society, in, you know, modern uh psychology or whatever it may be, I want us to get some biblical principles down so that we know what we're doing and we're not just sort of uh, puppeting or, you know, uh, just following after whatever others say it is. We want to go into the Bible and understand what it means because when we do that, you know, um, we're able to practice love in a better way. We're able to um, see the kind of results in our life, in the lives of others. We are not under condemnation uh, about certain things um, because someone says, oh, that's not loving or this is loving and therefore you need to do that. I want you to have a plain and consistent understanding of what it means to love. And so I want our uh, anchor text to be Romans chapter 13. So we're going to read in Romans chapter 13, and the anchor text is verses 9 to 12. So it really isn't that long, but it really encapsulates the point of this conversation as it pertains to love and as it pertains to how we engage the world um, and individuals, maybe those that are not as close to us, like a family member or, you know, a spouse or something like that, or maybe someone we work with, but, you know, kind of like peripheral people, okay? So let's Let's go ahead and look at Romans chapter 13, verse 9 and 12. It says, For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law, and that knowing the time that now is it high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light." Wow, I think that's really a powerful set of scriptures right there. And it says so much, like we can pull so much out of the scripture, but I want us to think about what it's saying. It hasn't named anyone specifically, but it uses this sort of nebulous term of neighbor. That is kind of the, the subject that we see pointed out here. And so what I want to encourage you toward in this Bible study 
is a simple love, a simple, pure, and authentic love that really, you know, doesn't have anything to do with the trappings of this world in terms of, you know, what is demonstrative and overly um, effusive. I want you to understand what's going on. What is the practical application of love? Love is fulfilling the law. Love is working no evil toward your neighbor. That means not that you must galvanize this person, him or her, and cover them in kisses and embraces or even greet them loudly in the morning. The Bible says your neighbor will hate you if you do that, by the way, guys, if you check that out in Proverbs, but because you need to know how to act appropriately. And that's really what love is. It's knowing how to act appropriately with people. Um, it's that you do them no harm. You do them no harm. Um, you work no harm. And if it will cause them any harm, then that's your cue not to do it. That's really the bottom line. And I think that we have over, uh, we've made love more complex than it actually needs to be, particularly that love that we have toward people who are not necessarily affiliated with us, but are sort of peripheral people or people you might come into you know, on a daily basis. Have you ever known someone? And I'm not saying it wasn't their personality. Maybe it was. I don't know. I'm not judging anyone. But have you ever seen someone who is just like, you know, they meet people. Oh, let me hug you and kiss you. How are you doing, baby, sweetie pie? Maybe that's their personality. Maybe they're under the impression that that is what love is. And I don't want you to be under that impression that that is what love is, okay? There's a practical way to love people um, that has more power than if you kiss them. Okay, so if you want to know if you have love or not, then ask yourself, do I work harm to my neighbor? That's really the bottom line, folks. Yeah, this may not be somebody that, you know, lives in your house with you. It may be not your spouse or your son or your brother or your sister, but it might be someone in a peripheral sort of setting. Do I work harm to my neighbor? This is a simple question. You know, the apostles in the New Testament always talked extensively about being woke. And I think that's really key right here because he said in Romans chapter 13, verses 9 to 12, he speaks specifically about being awake. Okay, he's telling you, be woke. And so I think a lot of people, and I don't really understand this term, uh, stay woke. And I want you, if you're a believer, to stay woke when it comes to love, when it comes to the word of God. And I am meaning that stay woke, you know, um, because a lot of times I think the concept stay woke, you hear that term, it's actually in America, unfortunately, there is an absolute romanticism of appropriating African-American phrases. And so a lot of times people pull phrases out. It really doesn't mean that because they're not within the culture, so they don't really understand what they're saying. And so when you hear the term stay woke, if an African-American person says that to you, they're telling you don't walk around in the days and not know what is going on in the world. That is what they're saying. It's not a way to be. It's a way to understand the world. It's wake up and smell the coffee. That's what they're saying. And that, my friends, is why I'm using stay woke here. Because that is what Paul is saying. I'm sorry. That is what the writer is saying here in Romans chapter 13, verse 9 and 12. He says, wake up. <laughs> He's telling you, wake up. Okay? He's telling you, you there's a certain level of awareness you need. Um, that is going to help you. And I think we are not as honest 
in the body of Christ about the level of awareness that a believer needs to be able to navigate the world, to be able to navigate in love. We tell people to run blindly into horrendous situations. You know, I can think of some and it just, I can't even, it just, it, it, it hurts my soul because of some of the advice, some of the ideas that go around that put uh, believers in some of the most horrendous um, positions uh, and unfortunate places. And this is poor doctrine. This is not good. And so when we look in the New Testament and we see the apostles always talking about being woke, that's the kind of awareness of knowing and carefully observing the times so that you may behave prudently. That's what it means. We see the writer of Romans admonishing the church to awake out of sleep. That's literally what he says, awake out of sleep. Sleep means you're unconscious. You don't know what's going on in the physical world while you are asleep. It could be raining outside. You know, the little mice can be eating cheese in the corner. You know, your dog could be, you know, destroying your shoe or gnawing on your shoe. You don't know because you are asleep and there's no way for you to know it. And that is why when they talk about being awake, when the apostles and the disciples talk about being awake, they're talking about don't be in a slumber. And it's imperative that we walk circumspectly in the world, seeing the world ultimately as it is. And sometimes that's not even in a good way, okay? So when he's saying it's high time, it means it's overdue. He's saying it's high time, it's overdue that we walk watchfully. And there's a Bible study here, um, and I'll try to link it in the description. Sometimes I forget, guys, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to go back over everything and try and link it in the description. It's a Bible study that talks about, you know, praying and watching, watching and praying. And so we are always being admonished by the disciples, by the writers of uh, scripture to be awake and to, in order for you to pray, to be aware of what is going on. It's absolutely important that as believers to be awake and aware in such a way that it can inform our actions and our prayers and our love. You can be key and strategic in your prayers and intercessions and supplications in ways that impact not only your life, but world events and culture. And I don't think we understand that we have this kind of authority and power. And I can say with absolute certainty that my silent and unseen prayers to God have had some of the greatest impact. In fact, I would probably say that my prayers alone has been one of the most amazing things. Like, if you don't see me doing anything, know I'm praying. <laughs> and, and God, he answers my prayers. The Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 16 and 18, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. I mean, I think it's really important to understand that some person praying somewhere 
in righteousness in God can pray for something to happen and it will. This guy, he's saying he was just like us, an average guy prayed and the Lord held back rain on the earth for three years and six months. Yes, some of these things that we are seeing in the earth is because someone is praying and God is heeding that fervent and effectual prayer. If he'll do it for one man, this guy that is named here Elias in James chapter 5 verse 17 if he if he can if that guy if that guy he'll stop the rain for that guy he'll do it for anyone else and so prayer and faith actually works and we have to understand that if we are going to have things happen, if we are going to be a part of this world and in, in saving the lost and doing the work of God, then we have to be people who pray, who understand what love is, who are awake, you know, and know what the power of prayer is, the power of true love is. The writer is saying, wake up. You need to see what's happening in the world so that you know what to pray for so that you know how to do no harm to your neighbor. So if you love your neighbor as you love yourself and you love Christ to do his commandments, then pray. You know, you can't say, you know, I love, and you're not having this moment of prayer with Christ. It's, it's sort of like this confluence of ideas of coming together. That creates the power. That's where the power is at. You know, and that is why I say it is better to be informed by the word of God than just by popular um, ideas or pop psychology or pop religion. Because a lot of times we interpret love to mean, you know, running out and hugging everybody and loving on people and kissing people when the world around us, they really need our prayers. They really need us to work no harm against our neighbor. These are the things that make the world better. Because if you are a righteous man and you fervently pray, then things can happen. Lives can be saved. People can be helped. Evil men can be stopped. Bad things can be turned back if you pray. And you do that in love. So here's the thing I want to say is that you should be praying not just for your own family and the things you want and what's going on in your life. But you should be praying for the world too. Leaders, believers that you don't know in other countries around the world and even your nation. This is a kind of love that is not, um, it's not emotional. It's not, you know, evidently demonstrative, but it's so effective. It's so effective. So let us ask, what is loving your neighbor? We've had that conversation before. Christ has had that conversation with us. <laughs> the Bible doesn't specifically in the law say, you know, not to do certain things. And so I think this is where a lot of people think it's a loophole, particularly religious people. You know, people who were religious did this sort of thing in Jesus' day, you know. So they would maybe say, well, I've never committed adultery, but they had lusted before. See, Christ's law of love, it holds us to a higher standard as children of the day. Now, if you look in that in our 
uh, anchor text, it talks about being children of the day, which we are, that we must wake up, that we must be walking in the day. You can't be sleeping and not knowing what's going on. And so things like thou shalt not sell out your neighbor and thou shalt not gossip about your neighbor, that may not be expressly written in scripture. So some may wonder, how are we supposed to know what's permissible or not? How, how do we know? Well, we can use the rubric that we have been using before, and that is we will have to exercise the highest law of love. That high law of love is going to make sure that even if you know you don't do something that is specifically stated on the thou shalt not list or the Ten Commandments, that you go even higher than that. And you respect even the thought or the memory of that individual within your mind by not lusting against them. You see, we exercise that high law of love. And the question then becomes this, would you want the same thing done to yourself? Or um, is this something that you would want done to God or Christ? Or would God want this done to Christ? Like whatever it is that you're doing, do you think the just and loving God of the whole entire universe would want that thing done to Christ? See, the new mantra for fulfilling the highest law of love should be, would you do that to yourself or Jesus Christ? Could it harm your neighbor? And, and I don't think we think about what that means in a sort of technical sense, because we always think, well, you know, they didn't get hurt physically, or maybe it didn't break something or whatever it could be. But your interactions with people who maybe aren't, you know, your family members or, you know, sort of immediate people in your life, those things matter. And let me just give you a, an example. You know, there's this very popular idea of men and women out there think that they're just out there dating ra random and various people. Um, but the Bible says that sexual sin causes harm to both you and the other person's body. So are you then working um, harm or ill toward your brother if you're in a sexual relationship with him? Are you working no harm if you're just sort of sleeping with a girl and you don't plan to marry her? Is that harm? Well, yes, <laughs> if you guys are not married. And I don't mean it's okay for you to sleep with her as long as you plan to marry her. <laughs> if, if it gets to that point, then you both need to make some choices soon. And this isn't about tying your hands. It's about you understanding what harm is. I think countless people out there, men and women, are physically, mentally, and emotionally harmed because they're out there with this person and that person and this person and that person, and this is causing harm. I think we see a lot of mental illness. I think we see a lot of, you know, violence and aggression and things like that because it's harming the people. And you have to see things that seem simple as are you harming someone by that? It doesn't matter if it's a compulsion, if you you know want it or need it. The, the question is, is it harming someone else? And you're not supposed to work any harm toward your neighbor. So there are no decisions that we can make that are just, yeah, you know what, it won't hurt anybody. There are no decisions like that. Your decisions, the things that you do matter. And if you're going to be a child of the day, which this a verse says, then you're going to need to start thinking about that. And I want to note that he says the night is over and that the day is here, that we are children of the day. Remember, we are children of light now, 
And so the light is here. So it's not like we're waiting for day to come where, okay, well, the Lord will come. No, he's here. He's living inside of you. So if you can remember that we are maturing into something for the glory of God, which we do not know yet what is, which Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and also John says in 1 John verse 3 and 2, then we have to be practicing that light. We have to be practicing in the light. So you should act like it. A child of the day. If people do not work at night, um, you know, and, and I just, I have to say this, um, what does it mean to be a child of the day versus a child of the night? And I think that we can see that in people who work at night versus people who work in the day. It is an odd thing to see people sleep in the morning. And when I say sleep in the morning, I mean throughout the day, like they're just asleep from 9 a.m. until 7 p.m. at night. That's weird. Like you just don't see that happening unless the person works at night. And so if you are not a worker of the night, then sleeping in the day doesn't really make sense. If you work in the morning or you do things in the morning or something like that, then sleeping in the morning just makes no sense. Sleeping during the day, not the morning, the day. You know, and that is what God is trying to get us to see is that in our world, People now are trying are asleep in the day, um, and that is because they're not awake. They're not. They don't have their eyes open. And God is telling us to open your eyes. And I want to give you some examples. Well, what exactly does that mean? Okay, think about this. In our world today, people pretend that that which is bitter is sweet. That which is female is male, and that which is small is big. That the darkness um, is here when it's actually not. We're not confused about up and down. We're not confused about a lot of things. But only if you are trying to live in the darkness that you won't see things as they are. Actually, being woke means to see things as they are, not as you want them to be, as you'd like for them to be, as you feel that they should be, but as they are. And that is what Christ is pushing us toward. This isn't about persecuting someone for their belief system. If someone believes that they're a dog, that's fine if they want to believe that, but that's not reality. And they're living in a sleep. I can go to sleep and dream that I'm a dog, but when I wake up in the morning, I can look around, oh, no fur, you know, no canine teeth. You know what I mean? And that is what being awoke means. And we've sort of changed that in context. And to be truly awoke is to know who the children of the day are and who the children of the night are. And you know it by those who can't see things as they are. Truly being woke is understanding the times. And so he is proclaiming that day is here in the same manner that John the Baptist proclaimed the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is no questioning of that. It isn't like, I, I wonder what's happening. And so let's see what John the Baptist says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2 and 4. He says, and saying, repent you for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So we are to cast off the works of darkness, which are anti-love, hating our neighbor and working ill towards him because we know our reward um, for the ungodly deeds and 
also for obedience, is fast approaching and the day is already here. So it's important to understand we're not confused about, oh, you know, if I do this thing, you know, and maybe it's not good or it's anti-love, then, you know, everything will be fine. No, it, the, the scripture is saying, wake up and see things for what they are. And that is what he's calling us to, to be children of day so that we can see the world as it is. So love works no ill. Love fulfills the law. Love a neighbor as yourself. You see, the doctrine of the world makes people sick. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about sleeping in the daytime, sleeping during hours when people are up doing stuff. Like who's asleep at 2 p.m.? Or who's asleep at 3 p.m. except someone who's ill, sick, or who works at night. And so if God is asking us to be children of the day, it means we have to be aware of what's going on. It means we have to be aware of what is happening. We can't pretend things. And this matters in our conversation, in our relationships with the world. Does that mean someone who, who desires to believe that bitter is sweet, I'm going to just walk up to them and slap them around and say, hey, <laughs> you know, Bitter is not sweet. No, what it means is we are aware that that person is in darkness and that person needs salvation. We are to deliver that salvation, to that uh, witness of that salvation to them through the gospel of Christ. And if they receive it, good. If they don't, we leave them as they are, as a children of darkness, one who does not understand what is going on in the world, one who has been deceived by the wicked one. And that is what we are trying to do now, is to love our neighbor as ourself, is to see him as he is. See him as he is. God wants you to have an abundant life every single day. And that doesn't just mean riches. An abundant life is accepting who God made you. It's accepting your calling. It's being satisfied when you wake up and you're more and more like him. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. It means working no evil against your neighbor or yourself. And that's really a dicey one. If you want to know more about loving yourself, then I want to encourage you to check out the Bible study that talks about loving yourself. I want to encourage you, wherever you are, wake up. Stay woke, okay? Don't go back to sleep. Do not accept these ideas and live right in terms of God's holiness according to the people that are around you. Now, this may not be the closest people around you. You may have you may have efficiency there, but it's important to be woke and circumspect when we talk of living and doing right and loving people who are in our sphere, but not necessarily those people in our lives as family and friends. The Lord asks us to act circumspectly there. He asks us to pray. He asks us to do them no harm. That is what working no harm to your neighbor means. And evidently, truth is being awoke. So I want to thank you so much for tuning into this Bible study. I hope that the Lord opens your eyes and that you do not believe, you know, many of the, the unfortunate doctrines that are causing pain and suffering in the world today. 
Because remember, doctrines are kind of like a belief system. And they're not always, if they don't encapsulate the truth, then they're only going to cause pain in your life. And so that is what the Lord doesn't want. He wants you to live an abundant life. I pray that God blesses you. And remember, stay woke.